Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to Coursera's third quarter fiscal year 2021 earnings call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode, and please be advised this call is being recorded. After the speaker's prepared remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press star one again. I'd like to turn the call over to Cam Carey, Head of Investor Relations. Mr. Carey, you may begin. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining our Q3 earnings conference call. With me today is Jeff Maggian-Calda, Corsair's Chief Executive Officer, and Ken Hahn, our Chief Financial Officer. Following their prepared remarks, we will open the call for your questions. Our press release, including financial tables, was issued after market close and is posted on our Investor Relations website, where the number of risks and uncertainties, which are discussed in our press release, SEC filings, and supplemental materials. These forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance or plans, and therefore, investors should not place undue reliance on them. We assume no obligation to update our forward-looking statements. And with that, I'd like to turn it over to Jeff. Thanks, Cam, and good afternoon, everyone. Today, I'm pleased to report strong third-quarter results, which reflect the continued trend of institutions and individual learners embracing online learning to develop skills for the future. In Q3, we grew revenue 33% to $109.9 million. Performance was strong across the business, with double-digit revenue growth in each of our segments, consumer, enterprise, and degrees, and in every region. Since its founding, Coursera's number one goal has been, and always will be, to serve learners. And as of the end of Q3, we have more than 92 million registered learners on the platform, adding 5.5 million in Q3 and more than 15 million year-to-date. Learners come to Coursera seeking new skills to advance their careers and improve their lives. In particular, we continue to see strong demand for our growing catalog of entry-level professional certificates. Since launching this category in 2018, we have seen more than 2 million learner enrollments in programs from industry partners like Facebook, Google, IBM, Intuit, and Salesforce. With a professional certificate, learners with no college degree or background in the field can learn the skills needed for an entry-level digital job in less than a year. We're also excited about the impact these certificate training programs can have in reducing the gender gap in digital jobs. According to our latest Women in Skills report, women's enrollments in entry-level professional certificates have increased from 25% of all enrollments in 2019 to 37% in the first half of 2021. But a career pathway isn't the only option. Content on Coursera is modular and increasingly stackable so that bite-sized learning can build towards a broader course of study, including a college degree. We recently announced ACE credit recommendation for all Google entry-level professional certificates on Coursera, as well as three from IBM. This means that learners who complete one of Google or IBM certificates are eligible to receive up to 12 college credits from participating colleges and universities. The University of London, the University of North Texas, and Northeastern University are among the institutions with programs already awarding college credit for these certificates. In a world reshaped by the pandemic, this is what the future of learning looks like for many adults, and it is being driven by several key trends at play. The first major trend is digital transformation. The forces of technology and globalization are transforming industry after industry, and the pandemic has served to only accelerate these trends. It has amplified the criticality of technology and digital tools. It has redefined the way that businesses and governments and individuals work. It has reshaped the global talent pool, opening new opportunities for companies to build more diverse distributed workforces. For example, at Coursera, in the first half of this year, more than two-thirds of our U.S.-based new hires are fully remote, providing us with access to a broader, more diverse talent pool without the constraints of requiring proximity to a corporate office. The second major trend is skills development. Employers are rapidly digitizing work processes and automating jobs that are repeatable and predictable. 
the rapid pace of this digital transformation impacts everyone, and the need for change has never been more urgent. Businesses know that they must upskill, reskill, and benchmark their talent to remain competitive in a changing economy. Governments understand that most at-risk jobs are typically held by lower-wage workers, which threatens to leave millions of workers unprepared for the digital future. Campuses realize that they must enhance their offerings, as increasing competition from alternative credentials and substitution effect of a strong labor market drives them to teach students skills of the future and deliver stronger employability outcomes. And individuals need to keep learning through their life, requiring access to flexible and affordable education to stay relevant in a fast-changing labor market. And the third major trend that's driving our business is enabling the digital transformation of higher education. While technology is accelerating change and transformation around the world, it is also the means by which society is adapting. The digital transformation of higher education is upon us. Higher education, one of the largest industries in the world at $2 trillion, has seen relatively little innovation over the past three centuries. Traditional college degrees are not affordable to many people. Their monolithic four-year structure doesn't meet the needs of lifelong learners. Degrees often lack relevance to today's employers. And degrees are often not designed for working professionals who don't want to quit their job or move their families to obtain a college degree. Unlike other platforms, we are an enabler and not a disruptor. We work directly with universities and industry leaders and governments driving powerful institutional collaboration to better meet the needs of this new digital world. Our platform is transforming the way that learners learn, it is transforming the way that educators teach, and it is transforming the way that employers upskill and reskill their talent. Our three-sided platform connects learners, educators, and institutions in a global learning ecosystem with three primary advantages. First, the leading educator partners including world-class universities and some of the best-known global industry brands are attracted to Coursera to teach at scale. Second, the quality and breadth of the content and credentials that these educator partners create. And the third major advantage is the technology and data that power our platform. Let me share some recent highlights on each of these competitive advantages. We continue to expand our list of educator partners our large growing learner base and global brand make us an attractive partner to educators who want to reach a worldwide audience and deliver high quality, affordable education at a low cost. We now have more than 250 university and industry partners on Coursera. In September, we announced partnerships with four new top tier institutions in India, our second largest market by registered learners for a total of 10 university partners in the country. New partners include IIT Bombay, IIT Guwahati, Indian Statistical Institute, and Ashoka University. We're also excited to partner with a number of new industry leaders. Last week, we announced a new partnership with Oracle, focused on helping learners develop cloud-related skills. The five new courses, taught by Oracle experts, cover a range of cloud infrastructure and database topics at varying levels of complexity with hands-on labs allowing learners to practice in a live environment. We also announced a partnership with Juniper Networks in October. They are committed to driving skills transformation within the networking industry and launched the first of four anticipated new specializations on Coursera. Lastly, we welcomed United Service Organizations, a nonprofit serving U.S. military members and families, Philips India for Health Technology Solutions, and Boxy, an English language training company as new partners of Coursera during the quarter. Our industry partners value Coursera's scale and reach in building a global community of developers and users critical to their ecosystems. Additionally, it allows them to address the growing job displacement and skills gap that their technology and automation can create. For example, in coordination with the ACE recommendation, we also announced that Google's professional certificates on Coursera are available to U.S. community colleges and career and technical education, or CTE, high schools for free. Students participating in the program will receive job-relevant skills training for today's most in-demand digital roles, as well as access to career services and job opportunities 
through a consortium of over 130 employers. And our skill sets and skill dashboards, originally developed for Coursera for business customers, will now be offered through Coursera for Campus, allowing students to develop the specific skills required by employers for high-growth roles and administrators to track student progress against their career goals and to benchmark these students against employees in the industry. Our second major advantage is the broad catalog of world-class content and credentials created by these educator partners. Our stackable system of branded, high-quality, freemium content enables us to attract learners at low cost and serve them at a range of price points. Learners come to Coursera for our freemium content and bite-sized learning, including hands-on projects and short courses, enabling us to grow our top of funnel and attract registrants at low cost. As these learners look to progress in their careers by earning more valuable credentials, we aim to maximize lifetime value with our premium credentials from our partners, including specializations, professional certificates, and accredited bachelor's and master's degree. And our catalog continues to grow. We recently announced five new certificates from university partners in India with topics ranging from 5G technologies in IoT, BLSI design, digital transformation, data-driven decision-making, and electric vehicles. Additionally, IBM launched their sixth entry-level professional certificate focused on data engineering. For degrees, we recently added two new programs, including a postgraduate diploma in applied statistics from the Indian Statistical Institute and a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration from the University of London. With these recent additions, the Coursera catalog now includes over 2,000 guided projects that offer hands-on learning, more than 5,000 courses and 600 specializations, over 70 certificates, including our 15 entry-level professional certificates, and 33 degree programs, including bachelor's, master's, and postgraduate diplomas. Now let's talk a little bit about product innovation. This is the thing that drives another key advantage, which is our unified platform. The world-class content created by our educator partners is delivered on a system of technology and data that underpins the Coursera learning platform. We continue to enhance the experience of our learners, institutions, and educator partners. We introduced a number of platform improvements to better serve Indian learners, including a localized homepage for better payment options and bulk pricing for AVID users. What we learn from our India-focused initiatives will further inform our international strategy. For institutions, our skills graph connects roles to skills to content, and we continue to leverage our broad catalog and the data underpinning our platform to provide better insights to our customers. For businesses, we recently launched the Leadership Academy, designed to help companies to, to deliver and measure world-class management training at scale in critical soft skills such as change management, talent development, and collaboration. This was our sixth Academy launch. Academies offer companies a skills-first approach to enterprise learning, focusing first on the most critical job roles, then specifying the skills and proficiency levels to needed to do these roles, and finally linking the skills to content that teaches at the appropriate proficiency level. But the value of these insights extends beyond corporate training. In August, we announced the general availability of skill sets for all universities using Coursera for campus. While the shift in the skills landscape is creating opportunities in the workforce, companies feel that there is often a mismatch between the skills students are graduating with and the digital skills required in the modern workplace. Universities are using Coursera for campus to drive targeted skills proficiencies needed for today's in-demand jobs leveraging our world-class content from university and industry partners. Additionally, these universities can track skills development at both the student and cohort level while benchmarking students against real employees in industry. And for educators, at the end of June, we announced our new content ingestion solution, a feature that allows educators to more quickly and seamlessly migrate content between a learning management system and Coursera. We've been pleased with the official traction with approximately 70 courses from 17 university and industry partners ingested into Coursera using this functionality. Our partners have been able to leverage the tool to significantly reduce the time needed to author and launch a course on Coursera, 
typically in one-third of the traditional timeline. Individually, our ecosystem of partners, world-class content, and technology are important strategic advantages. But the real power is the way that these assets are reinforced by and leveraged across our unified platform. There's a flywheel effect. As a growing selection of content and credentials attracts more individuals and institutions, which in turn motivates our educator partners to create even more content on the platform. This growing content, technology, and data allow us to better meet the needs of learners, educators, and institutions. And this, in turn, fuels our business, increasing scale, reducing our acquisition costs, and ultimately maximizing the lifetime value of learners on Coursera. We believe that the transformation of higher education is just getting started with many opportunities to drive growth for Coursera in the coming years. Before I turn it over to Ken, let me remind you of some of the key priorities that we're focused on to grow. First, we will continue to invest in our growing enterprise channels, focusing on both new customer acquisition and expanding relationships with existing customers. I'd like to highlight two examples that are illustrative of the institutional collaboration that our platform is enabling at scale. Cinde, the Costa Rican Investment Promotion Agency implemented a nationwide training program with Coursera for Government in 2020. For almost 40 years, Cinde has helped attract businesses to Costa Rica, helping more than 350 companies to establish operations in the country. The organization was interested in leveraging Coursera to help reduce unemployment amidst the pandemic while building a competitive workforce to drive sustainable future growth. Cinde teamed up with employers, Costa Rican government agencies, and Coursera to help identify the most in-demand skills and develop curated learning pathways on our platform. Since the partnership began, more than 23,000 Costa Ricans have enrolled in over 80,000 courses, completing more than 40,000 courses and nearly 700,000 lessons. Given this initial success, Cinde recently expanded the program. Second, we announced a new partnership with the Oklahoma State Regents of Higher Education, enabling 15 universities in the state to adopt Coursera for campus. The collaboration is focused on four key goals, enhancing academic program innovation, offering flexible blended learning options to faculty and students, setting students up for success and completion of their degree programs, and expanding alignment of academic programs with modern workforce needs. Oklahoma is the first U.S. state to launch a Coursera for Campus partnership with this wide-reaching scale, covering more than half of the state's public universities with the potential to impact tens of thousands of students, faculty, and staff. Next, while we are only in the beginning stages of our degrees business, the pandemic has fundamentally changed how universities are thinking about online degrees. Students want the flexibility to learn online and universities are responding by scaling online degree programs using partners like Coursera to meet that demand. For example, in the month of September, our team was able to launch eight degree programs from universities in the U.S., Russia, and India, demonstrating the power of online platforms to deliver worldwide degree programs at scale. And in August, we announced a new fee structure to support university partners looking to rapidly expand their online programs and reach more students around the world. With this new tiered structure, the service fee will progressively reduce from 40% to 25% for universities that grow their collective programs to more than $50 million of annual tuition on Coursera. This is driven by our freemium model, which brings in learners to Coursera and enables our efficient low-cost acquisition, a key competitive advantage enabled by our three-sided platform. And finally, we will continue to scale the Coursera platform and reinforce our flywheel effect, investing in growth of our registered learner base, increasing our network of educator partners and their content and credentials, and expanding our reach into more countries, investing in localized experiences to better serve more learners from more countries around the world. And now I'd like to turn it over to Ken. Thanks, Jeff, and good afternoon, everyone. We are pleased with our strong third quarter results, which reflect the sustained demand we continue to see for online learning. In Q3, 
we generated total revenue of $109.9 million, which was up 33% from a year ago. This strong growth was on top of the 70% year-over-year growth delivered last year, so we are quite pleased with the performance on top of a difficult comp. As Jeff discussed, we're seeing a global trend of not just individual learners, but also institutions, including companies, campuses, and governments, investing in digital and new skills required to compete in a post-pandemic economy. Please note that for the remainder of the call, I will discuss key operational metrics as well as non-GAAP stock-based compensation and related payroll tax, nothing else. Gross profit was $68.3 million, up 56% from a year ago, or 62.1%. As a reminder, there are two components of our costs of services. First is our content costs, which vary based on both the revenue mix amongst our three businesses as well as the content margin rate within each segment. Our higher margin enterprise and degree segments accounted for 39% of our overall revenue mix this quarter compared to 31% in the prior year period. This mix shift is key to our long-term financial framework, including structurally expanding margins over time. Additionally, we can see changes in the segment content margin rates depending on what learners consumed in any quarter. For Q3, this continued to be a positive variant, primarily within our consumer business. Our consumer segment content margin rate increased from 54% in the prior year period to 68% this quarter, as learners consumed a larger proportion of industry partner content, which tends to have lower than average content costs. Assuming similar levels of success with career certs and continued higher margin arrangements with industry partners, we anticipate that for the near term, our consumer segment margins will remain north of 60%, that we will likely invest more operationally to take full advantage of the opportunity. The second component of our cost of services is our non-content costs, margins for which were up slightly on a year-over-year basis at 9.3% of total revenue. Total operating expense was $75.3 million, or 69% of revenue, compared to 62% in Q3 of last year. Sales and marketing expense represented 35% of total revenue, up from a prior 30%. We expect our sales and marketing expense in 2021 to be slightly higher as a percentage of total revenue than in full year 2020, with a similar increase in the fourth quarter. Research and development expense was 20% of revenue, slightly lower than the year-ago period. We expect our overall R&D expense in 2021 to represent a similar percentage of revenue as the first half of this year. General and administrative expense was 13% of revenue versus 10% in the prior year, given incremental costs associated with being a public company. We expect this higher expense as a percentage of revenue to continue throughout 2021. Net loss was $8 million, or 7.3% of revenue, and our adjusted EBITDA loss was $3.1 million, or 2.9% of revenue. Similar to last quarter, our EBITDA margin continued to be quite strong. Importantly, I want to remind you of how we are managing the business. First, our messaging and operating framework with regards to EBITDA margin has been consistent since before the IPO. We plan to demonstrate scale and leverage over time while targeting EBITDA margin improvement over the long term. Second, we do not optimize the business for any single quarter and continue to see 2021 as an investment year, with our forward EBITDA guidance reflecting this focus. We intend to invest into our strong performance with the goals of, one, paving the way for future growth initiatives, two, deepening our competitive moats, and three, securing leadership in our large and rapidly evolving markets for the benefit of all our constituents. Now turning to cash performance and the balance sheet. Free cash flow was $7.1 million, compared to a use of $4.2 million a year ago, and we ended Q3 in a strong cash position. As of September 30th, we had over $800 million of unrestricted cash, cash equivalents, and marketable securities, with no debt. 
Combined with the strong performance in the business, we are able to invest confidently in our future. Next, let's discuss more detail for each of the business segments. Consumer revenue was $66.5 million, up 16% from the prior year, over a tough growth comp of 81% in Q3 of 2020. We are seeing sustained demand for our entry-level professional certificates aimed at the global reskilling opportunity. In addition, adoption of our new Coursera Plus subscription continues to be strong. In the third quarter, we surpassed 25% of consumer revenue generated from Coursera Plus subscriptions. Like other content subscription programs, Coursera Plus enables learners to consume a broader range of content without paying for each title. This has increased both consumption and retention amongst these learners. Segment gross profit was $45.5 million, or 68% of consumer revenue, as we benefited from a lower content cost rate during the quarter. In addition to its financial contribution, our consumer business is an important strategic asset. It attracts our educator partners, acting as a channel that allows them to reach a global audience of learners. It provides rich data visibility, enabling us to empower our institutional customers with the insights they value around skills and proficiency. And importantly, it serves as a top-of-funnel source for our enterprise and degree segments, allowing us to attract learners at low cost. As Jeff said earlier, we added 5.5 million new registered learners during the quarter for a total base of 92 million as of September 30th. Next is enterprise. Enterprise revenue was $31.8 million, up 75% from a year ago on the acquisition of new customers and expansion of our existing relationships. All three of our enterprise customer categories, business, government, and campuses, saw strong growth, demonstrating the progress we've made in creating a differentiated, skills-based learning experience across our institutional customers. The total number of paid enterprise customers increased to 711, up 124% from a year ago. And our net retention rate for paid enterprise customers was 113%. Segment gross profit was $21.4 million, or 67% of enterprise revenue, which was slightly lower on a percentage basis than the prior year, primarily due to a larger share of revenue coming from our indirect customers utilizing our technology platform in Q3 of last year. And finally, our degree segment. Degrees revenue was $11.6 million, up 59% from a year ago, as prior cohorts continue to scale and students embrace our newly launched programs, including the eight launched in September that Jeff mentioned. According to the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center, post-secondary enrollment for combined undergraduate and graduate students for the fall semester declined by 2.3% this year, likely reflecting the strong labor market and increased demand for shorter form credentials like our professional certificates. Furthermore, at primarily online institutions, undergraduate and graduate enrollments dropped by 5.4% and 13.6% respectively. Despite these headwinds, we grew our total number of degrees students 40% from a year ago to 16,068, and continue to be excited about our pipeline of programs from new and existing university partners. Degree segment gross margin was 100% of revenue as there's no content cost attributable to degree segment. Now, on to our financial outlook. As a reminder, we have fairly good visibility into revenue on a quarterly basis in both our enterprise and degree segments, so any significant variance to expectations is most likely to occur within our consumer segment. For the fourth quarter, we're expecting revenue to be in the range of 109 to $113 million. This represents a growth rate of 33% compared to last year at the midpoint of the range. For adjusted EBITDA, we're expecting a loss in the range of 16.5 to $19.5 million, which translates to an adjusted EBITDA margin of negative 16.2% at the midpoint. For full year 2021, we anticipate revenue to be in the range of 409 
to $413 million, representing approximately 40% growth compared to last year at the midpoint of the range. And for adjusted EBITDA, we're expecting a loss of $32.5 to $35.5 million, or an adjusted EBITDA margin of negative 8.3% at the midpoint. Consistent with our prior discussion, we intend to strategically invest for the long-term sustainability of our business. As we did in 2020, we are investing heavily in growth in Q4 while performing better than our previous forecast for annual EBITDA. We manage our business on an annual cadence for expenses and adjusted EBITDA. And as I said earlier, we intend to demonstrate scale and leverage over time as our business grows. Our outlook for full year 2021 reflects ongoing investments in personnel-related costs, sales and marketing, product development, and general and administrative costs associated with being a public company. So to summarize, we are forecasting a substantial improvement in 2021 EBITDA margin over 2020, even as we absorb significant additional overhead costs as a newly public company. Before Jeff's closing comments, I want to leave you with three key reminders about our long-term financial framework. First, we have a unique set of strategic assets that allow us to compete differently. Our freemium model, global scale, and unified platform allow us to attract new registered learners at low acquisition costs. It is what allowed us to introduce our new fee structure for degree partners looking to do online programs at scale. Second, we expect to have increasingly better forward visibility on our top line in the years ahead as our mix of revenue evolves. Third, and finally, in addition to our rapid growth, we expect ongoing structural gross margin expansion over the long term, driven by revenue mix shift to our enterprise and degree segments. In summary, we see an exciting opportunity ahead of us. As our results in 2021 have demonstrated, the impact of the pandemic was not temporary. It has accelerated the pace of automation and technology while highlighting the growing need for digital skills across every institution and individual. And with our unique assets and global learning ecosystem, we believe Coursera is the platform designed to meet this challenge. I'll now turn the call back to Jeff. Thanks, Ken. Our mission is to provide universal access to world-class learning so that anyone anywhere has the power to transform their life through learning. Today, we launched our second Coursera Impact Report. Early in the pandemic, online learning shaped a global crisis response that changed the way we learn. More than a year later, the ability to learn without limits is unlocking new possibilities. New trends show that the combined force of online learning and remote work is creating a powerful opportunity to provide not just learning, but more equitable job opportunities worldwide. As the 2021 Impact Report affirms, creating inclusive pathways to skilling, which prepare people for remote digital jobs, can pave the way for talent to rise from anywhere in the world. Together with our partners, we're excited to continue our efforts to fulfill this promise in our quest to build a more just world. And with that, let's get to Q&A. Could you please introduce the first question? Thank you. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from Tom Singlehurst with Citigroup. Please go ahead. Yeah. Uh, good evening. Thanks for taking the question. Tom here from uh, City, and, and congratulations on the, on the results. Just a couple of questions, maybe, to open up. Yeah. Um, first one, um, Coursera Plus, I mean, you mentioned last quarter that you'd had sort of encouraging early adoption, and, and sort of lo and behold, it's 25% of consumer revenue. And, and I suppose it would be great to get some more detail on where that's, why that's suddenly gone so so well, um, and, and also whether that drives structurally higher gross margins for the consumer division. Um, uh, yeah, any more detail or colour on that would be very much uh, appreciated. Um, that was the first question. And the second question was going to be on um, just, you know, all of us looking at education companies are sort of testing um, the impact of rapidly falling community college enrollments and, and the impact that's having on uh, some of the uh, the other the other names in the space. I'm just wondering whether you think the strength in consumer um, is the other side of that, 
that coin, I think you referenced that obliquely in the, the comments, but I mean, just firming that up a bit, do you think community college enrolments are coming down because there is just broader adoption of uh, courses like the ones you offer on the consumer side of the business and indeed the, the, the degree programs? Thank you. Yeah, Tom, thank, thanks for the questions. you hear me okay? Yes, yeah, loud and clear. Great. Um, so, so on the first question, Tom, Coursera Plus, you know, I think a lot of what this is is a, is a consumption play. I mean, the idea, I often compare it to Apple iTunes in the early days. You know, Steve Jobs said, you buy every song and it has to be exactly 99 cents. Uh, every single one was 99 cents. And that was great. That was a, a breakthrough from having to go to the record store. But you still had to pay every time you listen to a song. And so you kind of had to have a favorite song before you really – uh, made the commitment to consume it. Similar, I think, for the the the, um, the sort of standard pricing model for Coursera, where you, you have to know what specialization you want before you actually buy it. I think what Coursera Plus does is it kind of spotifies, if you will, not just the pricing model, but the consumption model, uh, the, the ability to uh, be, be interested in one subscription uh, or one specialization and then go to adjacencies and supplement it with other courses or, or, or uh, hands-on projects, I think it really just increases the consumption. So I think that's what we're basically seeing is for a fairly small price increase, learners can get you know, unlim unlimited and more friction-free consumption. And what that does is it boosts retention rates because, um, you know, it's not like you finish a piece of content and then you're done and then you have to buy another one. It's sort of just a subscription that you can continue to explore. With respect to structural uh, higher gross margins, I don't think so. I, I don't expect that that would change it. The only way that that might happen is if because of this, you know, lower friction ability to explore, learners ended up exploring content with, with lower content costs to, to, to the educator partner. And I don't necessarily see a reason why that would happen. So, you know, it might turn out that way, but, but we're not, we're not uh, modeling anything like that. In terms of community college enrollments, yeah, I, I think to some degree that is what we're seeing. I mean, my sense of it with respect to community colleges, and, and we just launched, um, you know, some major initiatives, a, a big one with Google recently where any community college in the country can get access to Google's entry-level professional certificates on Coursera at no cost. Uh, and I think a lot of what that reflects is, uh, you know, Google and our commitment to helping community colleges and also a need for community colleges to have a competitive offering when the alternative is, is going into the labor market. I think that the bigger, the bigger factor it just seems to me right now is a strong labor market. P people who otherwise might say, you know, the jobs aren't good enough, so I'm going to get a community college, a, 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 um, an AA degree, maybe have that go on to be a, a, a full bachelor's, are saying there's some good job opportunities, there's increasing pay, I'll go into the labor market now, and, and maybe I'll get that other uh, that other certificate later. So I think the substitution effect of a strong labor market is higher with community college than with more advanced sort of elite four-year degrees. I think the other part of it, too, is just that community colleges are realizing um, that they, they need to provide these kinds of micro-credentials, and that's the effect that you were talking about, sort of the other side of the coin is if learners can get faster, more affordable, more flexible, more, more job-relevant credentials on some place like Coursera, you know, Coursera is a substitute for community colleges. And so we, we certainly intend to, to do both, work directly with Facebook and Google and others to put you know, professional certificates on our platform so individuals can come directly to Coursera. But with Coursera for campus, and, you know, we mentioned Oklahoma, I think that's a really wonderful model for any state higher education uh, board regions, uh, where they basically did a deal and they said, we want to make sure that every – college in Oklahoma can get access to Coursera for campus for the same price because they want to make sure that the curriculum on campus, whether that's a four-year or whether that's a community college, is competitive with these new emerging micro-credentials. And so they're essentially using Coursera to integrate micro-credentials into their curricula and make them more job relevant. So we're, I think we're enjoying the benefits of this on, on multiple fronts, and it's, it's one of the values of having a bit more of a diversified uh, stream of, of revenue. That's very interesting. Thanks for that, Peter. Um, I'll jump back in the queue. Thank you. Sure. Thanks, Tom. Your next question comes from the line of Josh Bayer with Morgan Stanley. Your line is open. 
Great. Thanks for the question. Um, one follow-up or continuation on that theme, just wondering if uh, the kind of shift or, or impact of enrollments that we've been hearing about, if, if it played a role in the, the degrees business at all for you. Yeah, hey, Josh. Um, it, it, we think it has. You know, we think it has. Our, our, our degree segment is still growing very nicely, as, as Ken talked about. Um, but when we look at the um, some of the, the the ratios of how often does someone see who sees a certain message for a degree actually cl- click on it and take a closer look at what we call the degree description page, and then when they see the degree description page, how often do they start an application? When they start an application, how often do they submit? You know, generally speaking, and I think it's partly because of a a strong um, labor market. I also think it's partly because a lot of the people that came to Coursera during the the um, pandemic, like the height of the pandemic, they weren't necessarily technical learners. They're more sort of interested in some of the the science of well-being course, learning how to learn course, et cetera. You know that cohort is a little different than previous ones. But when we when we look at our data, our, our traffic our traffic and our registrations are looking um, you know not perturbed. Uh, but when we look at, when we see the interest levels of people on the site, it looks like it is skewing a bit more towards the entry-level professional certificates and, relatively speaking, a little bit less towards college degrees. Although, you know, master's degrees are actually, you know, doing relatively well vis-a-vis bachelor's. And also higher-tier degree programs, more selective degree programs, seem to be, according to the, the clearinghouse data, seem to be less effective than lower-tier degree programs. And so I think we also enjoy the benefit of having more technical degrees on Coursera from top name partners with, with selected programs. And so I think we're, we're maybe not seeing as much of that given our partners and the degrees that are on the platform. Great context. Um, one more might be a quick one. Funny you mentioned um, iTunes. I was just wondering if the changes to the App Store fees at Google and Apple, if it, if that's having any impact on the consumer business? Not sure if the consumer revenue runs through the app stores in that way. Thanks. Yeah, some of it. Some of it. Some of it does, Josh. Yeah. And do you have any visibility on any relative effect of um, yeah the platform it, stores on us? No, it it has a little bit of effect on the cost for obvious reasons that are <laughs> much broader than for Coursera. Nothing hugely material for us. And we haven't seen any kind of effect on the demand on the consumer side. So pretty much a non-issue, not a negative or a positive for us. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Your next question comes from Stephen Sheldon with William Blair. Your line is open. Hey, thanks. Appreciate you taking my questions. First, it seems like you're continuing to see some nice wins on the government side with with uh, the win in uh, Costa Rica being a good example. Can, can you talk some about the pipeline there and what you're seeing in terms of government focus and, and the ability to pay for kind of these broad upskilling initiatives? Yeah, sure. Um, we are seeing uptake on the government side. I think that when we look at what happened in 2020, we launched in May, I think it was May, maybe it was April, the, uh, the Workforce Recovery Initiative, where basically Coursera for government was available to any government agency through, through the end of 2020. And we saw a lot of utilization. Hundreds of agencies ended up signing up for that free, that free version. And like with many institutions, with, with businesses doing remote work for the first time and campuses do, doing online learning for the first time, governments got to do workforce training virtually for the first time. And, you know, I think that they were pretty shocked. I, I hear a number of them say, wow, like this has really advanced a lot since, you know, five years ago, ten years ago. We can get access to a broader range of curriculum. It is online. It's flexible. It's more affordable. It's more tailored to jobs, including entry-level jobs. And there is a growing awareness as well that many of these entry-level digital jobs can be done remotely. They're less place-based. And so governments are thinking, what's the, what's the fastest, cheapest way to try to get somebody employed uh, to a large degree, teaching them digital skills online where they might be able to get an entry-level digital job, even if that job not in their community, is creating exciting new possibilities. And so we're seeing good uptake on the government side. And as you can imagine, as with the U.S., there's just a lot of governments are putting a lot of money 
towards retraining, reskilling, and and sort of reemployment. So um, so we're we're looking forward to uh, to a good year in 2022, and we're seeing good uptake following on 2020. Got it. Um, and then great to hear that you've seen some nice traction so far with uh, with, with consumer subscriptions, but would be. Curious to get more detail on the type of individual learners that are that are signing up for subscriptions. Is it, is it the consumers that were already highly engaged in paying on a per course basis or a per certificate basis, or are, are you pulling in people to buy subscriptions that maybe weren't weren't uh, that engaged before? We just love some detail on that. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's sort of a combination of all of the above. You know, generally speaking. It certainly appeals most to those who are avid learners who are going to buy multiple courses anyway, which, by the way, is not a huge portion of our learner base. We don't think there's a lot of cannibalization, but they're the happiest. They're like, wow, this is great. I'm going to get to learn a lot more stuff, and I don't have to pay for it every time. Uh, But I think more importantly for your uh, learner that might have otherwise bought one technical specialization, you know, those techniques are changing, and and, and the tools that that are being used are changing. So there are adjacent courses, specializations, projects that can be done, and maybe they wouldn't have otherwise bought them, but they're like, hey, you know, I could, I could do this adjacent program. The other thing that we're seeing with reskillers, uh, still early days, but a lot of folks know that they don't want to be in their current job, and they want some other job, but they don't necessarily know what job is available. They don't know where the high-demand jobs are or what kind of skills they're going to need or how to get those skills. And so for those who are switching jobs and thinking about a digital career, it's valuable to have the ability to say, you don't have to pick the career to get started. Just come to Coursera. We have 15 uh, entry-level professional certificates now from some of the best names in the world. If you want to do, um, you know, project management, great, here's a project management certificate from Google. If you want to do marketing, here's the social media marketer's uh, certificate from Facebook. We're seeing good traction with Intuit. They have a bookkeeper certificate. If you want to go into finance or bookkeeping, you know, here's a certificate from Intuit, and you don't have to pay right away, which which really changes the, the purchase decision because it's kind of like if you're not sure and you maybe you want to try it before you decide what career to go to, suddenly that subscription model is a pretty attractive way to sample you know, lots of different programs and, and sort of career skills before deciding that maybe this is a path that's right for me. So I, I think it, it works for many uh, many types of learners, including those entry-level professional certificate seekers. Makes sense. Thank you. Sure. Your next question comes from Ryan McDonald with Needham & Company. Your line is open. Hi. Thanks for taking my question. Congrats on a nice quarter. Jeff, you alluded to it in your in your last answer about that there are individuals in the workforce that you know that they want to switch their careers and are looking for ways to do that. I'm curious, you know, given what we've seen in terms of the voluntary turnover rates and the, and the coined great resignation over the past few months, I'm curious how that's impacting your conversations with Coursera for Business and how that's maybe impacting L&D strategies with the enterprise organizations you're talking to. Yeah, you know, Ryan, it's, it's a great question, and it's still shaping up a bit. I mean, what we're seeing, and you're seeing it too, is there has been a long tradition of – of U.S. businesses offering tuition reimbursement benefits. It's sort of education as a benefit, and there's a tax policy in the U.S. that makes it a little bit more attractive. Pretty much a U.S. kind of thing. We don't see that very big in in other countries. But in U.S. Coursera for Business customers, we've seen that, and that's kind of with with bachelor's degrees for the most part. And usually for frontline workers who uh, don't have a college degree, it's a way of providing them a benefit and also retaining them because it's typically a a four-year program. I think to a large degree the conversation that's being had about micro-credentials, job-relevant, job-specific, you know, skill training, uh, the, the conversation we're, we're hearing with individuals looking for something that's shorter, more affordable, more flexible, is also starting to trickle into L&D thinking as well. I've definitely been aware of a few of our customers who are re-looking at their tuition reimbursement benefit and thinking, Hey, education as a benefit, that's a, that's something we want to do, maybe even do more of. But when we think about what should be the architecture of how we do that, what kinds of education, what kinds of credentials, you know, we, we think at Coursera that it's not degrees or micro-credentials. With Coursera for Campus, we are helping universities build micro-credentials right into their degree program for credit. 
and with degree pathways. These are the, um, the American Council on Education uh, credit recommendations that I, I, I mentioned in the script. Uh, we now have seven of the professional certificates have eight credit recommendations, which is basically the American Council on Education telling universities and colleges in the U.S., we have deemed this content to be credit worthy. So the idea that you could start with a professional certificate and by virtue of you know, the blessings of the ACE, count that as credit towards a bachelor's degree, you know, we think that hybrid model of industry plus degrees where they can be more bite-sized, more affordable, more job relevant, but have that option to have that degree pathway, we think that's a winning combination and you know, we think there's a big opportunity there. Right, and then as a follow-up, I wanted to ask about degrees. You mentioned eight new programs being launched in September. Just curious to get a sense of how we should expect that sort of cadence of, of program launches as we start thinking about 2022. Obviously, you continue to add new partners here, I think up to 33. We'd just love to hear more about how that sort of uh, sort of translates into the revenue stream, you know, as we look at fourth quarter and into next year. Thanks. Yeah, so um, we won't be – we don't plan to be reporting uh, sort of any, any sort of guidance or forecasts on this. I will say that if you go to the website, oftentimes we will start – we will announce a degree before it's live and start taking pre-enrollment, pre-admissions uh, submissions. So I know that there are some people that look, go to our website and just see kind of which degrees are announced but not yet live, and then you can actually see when they're going to be live. You'll notice if you look at the number of announced degrees – and the number of live degrees where they're actually students in session, that number was pretty wide during the last, say, six to nine months. Uh, it's a bit more um, less wide now. We, we launched a lot of degrees that were in the pipeline. I'm not saying that there's you know, not a pipeline coming, but I do think that those eight, those eight that went live represent a few things. One was uh, they all signed up around the same point in time. Uh, it also, we also want to just kind of mention it's pretty neat that the, the way that we enable multiple universities to build and launch degree programs on Coursera gives us a lot of scalability and kind of parallel processing. I mean, it's, it's conceivable that four or, you know, eight in this case or more than eight uh, could all go live at the same time because we don't put our working capital towards building all the content. That's, you know, that was a little bit different than some other types of, um, of program management models. Uh, but I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that because we launched eight this quarter, we're going to launch eight, eight next quarter and, and sort of keep an eye on the, the, the announced degrees, and then you'll expect in almost every case we've launched every degree that has been announced. That will be a, a reasonable indicator of the degrees that are in the pipeline, at least at the point of announcement. Hey, hey Ryan, I guess I'd also, this Ken, I'd like to emphasize what that model looks like in the d degree revenue creation cycle. So first it starts with the partnership where we land a degree and then announce it, which is what you're referring to, it tends to take six to 12 months for the partner to launch the degree on our platform, and then we start generating revenue by filling cohorts. And that revenue builds over time until you get a full set of cohorts. A two-year program takes roughly three years to fill, so you start to lapse. It takes four to five years to get full productivity, which means we have amazing visibility on revenue but you don't see an immediate impact from these announcements. So, that, so what we announce now, the landed partners, again, they'll implement now over six to 12 months, and then we'll begin the revenue production cycle. So there's a long lead time, but a lot of visibility. A helpful reminder. Thanks again. Of course. Yeah. Your next question comes from the line of Jason Solino with KeyBank. Your line is open. Hey, thanks for fitting me in. Um, you know, staying on this topic of degrees, you know, with the pricing announcement in August, I'm, I'd be interested in, you know, how your conversations are going with, with partners, whether new to the platform or existing, you know, is it uh, international versus domestic, grad versus undergrad? You know, curious how, how those discussions are going. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Uh I would say that the, the fee structure announcement that we made was more to remove an objection where a school would say, wait, I can see us doing one or two degrees with you, but, if, but now we're thinking post-pandemic, we're going to have a lot more online degrees. By the way, you, you might notice in the National Clearinghouse data, they showed that uh, all enrollments were down you know, a bit. Well, not, master's degrees were up a bit, but, but, but undergrads. 
institutions that deliver only online degrees, uh, and there are a handful, they saw even larger declines in enrollment than traditional universities. And so, you know, I, I, think, I think one of the reasons is that those universities who are a little bit, um, let me say maybe less selective, the online universities are less selective, I think they compete for a little bit more of the same kind of students as community colleges do. And, and they're also sort of seeing the labor market as an alternative to, you know, one of these online degrees. But the second thing I think that they might be seeing is a lot more conventional universities putting out more college degrees online. And so um, I think that what we, what I often say is three years ago, four years ago, at least at, at, the, at the selective, uh, for the selective programs, they kind of saw online degrees a bit as a hobby, like let's try this here or let's try this there. Now they're thinking more substantially about doing more of them. I think the pricing model really helps them think more broadly about doing this on Coursera. I will also say that a lot of universities are thinking, hey, how strategic is this for us? Should we build it ourselves? And so as we think about, uh, if, if you look at our degrees that we announced and the ones that are going live, many of them are international. Um, a lot of the top-tier U.S. schools, I think, are working through what they're going to do strategically about online degrees. You know, at one end of the spectrum, they can outsource the whole thing to a more traditional OPM. At the other end of the spectrum, they can try to do everything themselves. And kind of in the middle is Coursera, where you use a platform to get some of the distribution recruitment and, you know, some of the technology and data. Um, but I, I think that universities are still are, are very much thinking through this, and we'll see how it plays out. But I, I feel like the, um, the pricing model has definitely helped, and we continue to see a lot of global interest, you know, not just the U.S., but, but global interest. In, in moving degrees online. Final thing I just mentioned, I was, we put it in here, but uh, we just announced a, a Bachelor's of Science in Business Administration from the University of London. Uh, that follows on the heels of, of UofL, uh, their Bachelor's of Computer Science, which is a really popular program, thousands of students in it online. So they're, they're a great partner, and we're really excited to have our third bachelor's degree falling on the heels of the uh, University of North Texas, which also has a successful bachelor's program. So our bachelor's degrees, they're looking pretty good. Okay, and maybe I'll just sneak one more in. You know, uh, thanks for sharing those enrollment stats. You know, quite helpful with with the job, strong jobs market. You know, learners certainly have options of working, learning, or both. But aside yep. from you know the job, the expanding content of your platform, you know, what controllable execution factors you know gives you confidence about your ability to attract learners you know to ramp these degree programs? I think, sorry, on the degree program or on the alternative credentials? Uh, degree programs. Yeah, I, I think on the degree programs, I think what it really comes down to is can we help a university do a combination of get a, get a degree program built, you know, using the tools and, and all the you know, online pedagogy that's going to make it effective, get it launched and, and, and fill cohorts at low cost because recruitment is definitely a major value driver for pretty much every university that we talk to, maybe not the super-duper-duper duper elites, but kind of everybody else globally. Um, and then the final piece of it really is the how well can you scale instruction and, uh, and grading and, and the whole learner and faculty experience. So I think when it comes to execution, what we need to be able to do is, is I think, in order of importance, we have to make sure we can fill cohorts at low cost and fill, fill it with a global audience because that's something that we do you know, distinctively well. And then I think that doing a lot of hands-on learning and taking a lot of what we're learning from Coursera for business and helping universities make sure that their programs are modern, they use modern tools, they're all in the cloud, you know, all the hands-on learning is happening. I think that's another good differentiator. So building up Coursera labs, building up recruitment, building up Coursera labs, and then just improving ingestion and offering would be three of the things I'd say that we're trying to focus on in order to have our execution impact the growth already segment. Excellent. Quite helpful. Thank you. Sure. No problem, Jason. Your next question comes from Rishi Jaluria with RBC. Your line is open. 
Hey, hey guys, thanks so much for squeezing me in, and, and nice to see uh, a continued trajectory, especially against the really tough comps. Uh, I just want to maybe dial back into uh, what you know the, the whole discussion around the tight labor market and labor shortages, and maybe, maybe get a little bit more explicit on, on how it impacts different segments. Um, so I think you know enterprise, it makes sense that companies want their existing employees to be more more skilled, and, and, and you know that should serve as a tailwind there. How should we think about it on the consumer side uh, uh, specifically, both here and, and, and kind of, you know, if this lasts on for, for a while, you know, is it a case of because it's, it's, it's a better job market for prospective employers, there's less demand for this, or are there other offsetting uh, tailwinds, tailwinds that might work uh, against that impact? And then I've got a follow-up. Yeah, I, you know, so, Mike, I think you got it right on the enterprise side. Now, there are three different um, – customer types. The businesses, they seem to be increasing their budgets. They seem to be doing more uh, automation, digital transformation. By the way, there's a little bit of a substitution effect, I think, too, in that businesses are spending more money training their people. So the likelihood that I have to go back to a formal education when my employer is helping me get semi-formal micro-credentials might be a little bit of a substitution effect, but employers are really leaning into it, like you said. Campuses, we are starting to see a much bigger sense that hey, we're, fe- we're facing competition, and we need to make sure our graduates have some skills to get a job when they graduate. Um, and, and I think a lot of it is differentiating themselves from micro-credentials and boot camps and things. So we're, we're seeing a nice tailwind on that part of the enterprise business as well. On the consumer side, you know, we, we continue to see good traffic coming, good registration rates. Uh, as our portfolio of entry-level professional certificates grows, we're seeing – you know, more conversion. And so, um, you know, we, we kind of start with what jobs are in demand that don't require a college degree. And then we say, who as an industry partner, partner out there that really knows this stuff cold and has a good brand that consumers would like? And then we say, what skills need to be taught in order, you know, we talk to hiring managers, like what skills do you need for someone to get this job? And then we work with the industry partner and we build out the certs. That recipe is just really going nicely. And when we link the degree pathways to that, so, hey, this is also the beginning of a college degree. So you can either start a college degree now or you can start with one of these professional certificates and you're on your way if you want to get a college degree. That's a pretty nice option, if you will, for people. And then I, I, I also think that a lot of folks, when they're thinking about career switching, they are interested in the employment side. So to what degree could we link employability on the other side of these professional certificates? And, and, and Google has done a really nice job with us with this consortium of hiring partners that's over 100 companies saying, you know, we're looking for people who have these skills, who come from non-traditional backgrounds, maybe don't have a college degree, and we're interested in them. So I, I think that there is a, there's a lot of jobs open that, that you can get without a college degree with these professional certs. I think these pathways to a, a degree and pathways to specific employers who are looking for more diverse, non-traditional talent, those are all tailwinds. So, you know, I don't want to say the consumer business is going to keep growing really great because it's a little hard to predict. But so far in 2021, is definitely see to my expectations. Got it. That's really helpful. Uh, and then just going to enterprise land, you know, continues to be uh, really impressive. Can, can you maybe give us, and, and I apologize if you if you did address this earlier, but can you maybe give us a little bit of color uh, on, on the size of the lands? And, and, you know, would you be attributing the uh, enterprise success more to, you know, fine-tuning the go-to-market on your side, or, or is it more of a broad secular tailwind industry-wide? Thanks. Yeah, I would say on the on Coursera for Business, I would characterize that mostly as a broad secular tailwind. I mean, businesses all around the world are investing in you know, digital transformation. I think that uh, our skill sets and academies, they're, they're really resonating. This idea that you don't start with content, you start with which jobs do you need to imbue with certain skills. Like, I need my software engineers to know machine learning. Well, great. Here's a skill set for that. And then the skill set links to the content. That skills-first approach, frankly, it seems like it's really resonating for us. And I think we're, you know, we're kind of, I think, in a pretty strong position there with all of our data and our skills graph. And on, on the Coursera, but I'd say the ticket sizes, you know, I think there's, there's um, that's, I don't think we're driving a ton because of bigger ticket sizes in Coursera for business. The government's, by the way, pretty big average selling price. Those are generally, you know, a little bit more lumpy, and, and when they come in, they're a little bit bigger than, than, uh, than business. And on the Coursera for campus, you know, my view on this one is, to me, it's almost like it's, you have two choices. Either 
for, for not every university, but for a lot of universities, either you adapt and integrate some of the more modern curriculum or students will start coming, stop coming. And so, like, what are you going to do? The tricky thing about Coursera for Campus right now is there's often not a buyer and a budget. This is not something that universities are used to doing, and so universities have to get their head around, hey, you know, we need to supplement our curriculum with this online capability. Our NPS scores are extremely high, and our upsells are, are, are quite healthy on Coursera for Campus. But we're early in that market. I like to say that we're, we're kind of making that market, and so that one might take a little bit more time. Okay. Well, that's really helpful. Thank you so much. Sure, sure. Your next question comes from Michael Ng with Goldman Sachs. Your line is open. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for the question. Um, I just have two. First, um, could you talk a little bit more about the uh, strength in content arrangements with industry partners uh, that drove the strong consumer margins in the quarter? Um, you know, is this something that can continue to be a tailwind to margins over time? Um, do you see the opportunity for a 70% gross margin in the segment at some point in the future. Uh, and then second, could you just talk a little bit more about whether you see um, the opportunity for Coursera Plus to continue to uh, increase as a mix of consumer revenue? 25% was really impressive. Um, are you working to, to increase that over time, and uh, how does that improve revenue visibility for you guys? Thanks. Yeah, sure. No problem, Michael. Uh, with respect to industry partners and the content fees, you know, a lot of this really comes down to the interest, sort of the strategic interest of the educator partner, and then um, to some degree, like, who, who does the work and who has the value. I will say that for industry partners who are taking more of a social impact point of view on it, and they ask us to do a lot of the heavy lifting in getting these things built at, at high quality with their names on them, and also in partnership with them, you know, that will tilt more of the economics towards us, so generally lower content fees. Um, and, and that being said, I, I could see uh, structurally for a longer period of time those types of industry partners, um, you're raising our, our, our segments, gross margin in the consumer segment. We also have industry partners, though, who are interested in actually making money off of selling content. And so there, many technology companies have training divisions, and they have P&Ls, and they need to earn revenues. And so they, they really want the reach from Coursera but they have expert teams, they build a lot of content, it's very high quality, and they need to post revenue on their P&L. And so for them, you know, they want to do more of the work. They also want a bigger share of the economics. So it's, it's, it's not quite as simple as, you know, industry partners will always be higher uh, margins than, than, than other university partners. It'll be a mix. My guess is that it's, my guess is it's not going to trend to 70%, but I do think that, um, we are hey, Jeff. We, we actually gave yeah. specific guidance, and, and Michael, more importantly, um, yeah. but in, as part of the script we talked about, we expect to see 60% plus. So we're not okay. forecasting increases. It's it's been extraordinary improvement in our brief time as a public company, and we we want to let people know we didn't expect it to revert, but we're not expecting this explosion in the margins. You know, north of 60% though is what we committed to in the near term. Ken, I like that answer. Awesome. There are currently no further questions at this time. I'll turn the call back to Cam Carey for any closing remarks. That wraps our Q&A. A replay of the webcast will be available on our Investor Relations website, along with the transcript in the next 24 hours. We appreciate you joining today. Take care. Thanks, Cam. That concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.